Hi, I'm Ruth on Unleash Your Goddess. Today I have a lovely lady who shares her wisdom from 73 years of her life. We go on a journey through her struggles with addiction, drugs, alcohol, body dysmorphia and abuse. Jane learnt you can't keep repressing the symptoms, you need to treat the mind, body and spirit or it causes greater harm. Jane's daughter died of leukaemia at the age of seven and we hear about that fateful day where she was gifted a massive spiritual experience. We hear about the stigma around alcoholism and the gift of desperation. Let's welcome Jane Slaven to the show today and let's jump straight into the chat. My guest today is such an amazing lady, full of positivity and strength. We hear what tools she used to heal from a troubled childhood, addictions and loss of a child. I'd like to give a warm welcome to Jane Sleven. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's Sleven, actually, I should have said. Sorry, Sleven. I'm very glad to be here, Ruth. Thank, thank you so much. It's our pleasure. I'm looking forward to today and to hearing your story. What message would you like to give to our listeners on the podcast today? You know, everyone will take what they take as, you know, from their own experience. I personally just want to be authentic. You know, I want to be authentic. I guess, or oh, I feel a bit emotional. I would like to convey to people, it doesn't matter how difficult things seem. If you can make a connection to some kind of divinity or grace through nature or Buddhism or your religion or something, you know, something beyond yourself. If if I can convey to people, if you've got some kind of belief in the beauty and the grace of nature, the innate goodness of humankind, power of love over darkness, if you can get hold of that and stand in it and find people who hold that same outlook, you know what? Life just it just becomes very beautiful and mm. very peaceful and all the dramas go yes and I know today we will find out more the tools to be able to use to get to that point as we go on you told me about your unhappy childhood trauma sexual abuse parental neglect and emotional abandonment you said that although things was awful at the time invariably it turned out to be an amazing gift can you explain more about this please well, I'm 73 now, and as a child of an alcoholic father who died when he was 52 or some kind of neurological something or other, um, and a mother who was, you know, she was a very interesting, creative woman, but she was very troubled. She was born into, you know, 1913, and women were treated like, mm. unless they were beautiful or moneyed or titled or you know women had no rights and, and my mother was a very intelligent woman and so she was extremely frustrated she became a rageaholic she unfortunately I became an scapegoat in the family bless her she knew not what she did and it took me years to get out of that trauma and that self-pity and begin to see you know that poor woman was very troubled she yeah. didn't really did you know and I made my peace with her about 10 years before she died she made her peace with me we had some very 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 golden moments of reconciliation oh that's lovely it was lovely she could never quite you know it wasn't as though we could have 
straightforward conversations about what happened. She was very, you know, she she didn't have what we've got. We've got therapy and yes, you know, people talk about these things. They didn't then. You just kept it in the family. It comes down to breaking that cycle, doesn't it? Which we yes. can do that. We can break that cycle so that doesn't go on to our children, and that and we can get that healing. Step out, get that healing. Use the tools that's within. That's powerful. Part of that is when we help others. You know, that's yes. the biggest part of it. And and of course, it doesn't happen overnight. And I took an extremely circuitous route to get to that rather pleasant, balanced way of describing it. And in that process from childhood and onwards, you know, I, it was not nice. You know, I was deeply troubled myself. Looking back, have you got anything to say to somebody that has been through that? Any tips to save more heartache? You know, I think if you can, it's quite difficult because if you can, Somehow, I mean, maybe read, you know, I was going to say therapy, therapy groups. There are, you know, it's a question of money, but there are virtually free groups or donation only with the, um, you know, these um, sort of community groups where people come together and they look at things like codependency and or, you know, there's different groups that have people who had one or two parents or family member or partner or child that has an alcoholic or drug problem. So there are those groups and they look at things like, you know, the issues, the practical issues. And we do develop, I've been really helped by those groups. But along the way, I had a lot of therapy. You know, I managed to, uh, by, by good fortune, you know, I got some on the national health, some on subsidy and some I paid for. And I had tons and tons of therapy. But in the end, I had to reach a point where I stopped kicking over the bones of that pain. Mm. To stop. I had to give up the, the crucifix, you know, the big bag of resentment and bitterness and wound. I had to give it up. You know, it was like, I remember I'm jumping ahead a little bit now, but there was a point two years after someone very beloved to me had died. And I went on um, a personal development course, and it was a very intensive uh, weekend course, starting Friday night, ending Monday morning. And the only reason I went on it was because I liked the person who told me about it. We were both studying the uh, psychodynamic counselors. But I just thought I was in such misery about this death, this loss. And I was like, you know, this false, yes, I'm fine. She died very peacefully. Thank you. But I was in torment. Yes. And I thought, if nothing else, this intensive weekend will mean my head is full of something else and not Joanna. At all. Yes. And so I went on it. And at some point during this weekend, one of the facilitators it took the form of large group and they would say, oh, has anyone got any? They would give kind of lectures. They're very interesting about human nature. So has anyone got any questions? And if anyone was foolish enough, as I thought, to come <laughs> up with a question, they were like, oh, you just stand up. And well, you know, and they debate it, not debate it. And they'd have a really interesting 
And in the course of that interaction, the skill, the consummate skill and the compassion of the facilitator interacting with this person from something innocuous that got a question and it would lead into something very deep. And during this, at one point, I'm now talking about I had to let go of that self-pity and that misery, not only of my childhood, but of the grief of losing our daughter. And um, at some point, having so tenderly led me through a series of questions to the point where I said, he said, but what is it that you feel you are a failure in life? That was what we come to. Yes. And I was like, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to talk. I didn't even no. say it. I just thought I'm not going to. And he said, Jane, there's something. What is it that you? And I then kind of broke down and said, our little girl died and I couldn't save her. So he led, he was, I can't even tell you the love. It wasn't stupid. It wasn't soppy. It was just deep, compassionate listening. Listening, And this, you could have heard a pin drop in this room of like 80 people. It was all set up. You know, he just questioned me and listened, responded. And at some point after about probably 40 minutes, he looked at me with such love. Yeah. And there was... This broken woman, I was about 44, you know, this broken woman. And he saw this tiny little speck of light. And he went in there and he said, so, Jane, how long are you going to drag around this martyred, bereaved mother drama for? And I heard people around me gasp. I heard someone actually say, he's gone too far, Oh, you know. Yes. And I thought, all I, th- I thought, my God, you see me. Yes. And I said, I don't want to. And that was about, you know, just under, it was 29 years ago. So it wasn't the next day or the week after that I was like radiant, happy Jane as I am now full of love. My daughter came. My God, she was here for seven years. I love her. She yes. taught us all about courage. I didn't get there overnight, but it began, you know. So sometimes harsh, they're not harsh. It's like it takes tremendous courage. Yes. You know, just like, and I could see by the look on your face, the way you're nodding, that you knew immediately it was exactly what was needed. Yes went straight to the root of it didn't it and it dropped that seed it addressed the root of the problem of the grief of your childhood and we need so much more of that to get on a deeper level instead of keep putting plasters over like a a cancer inside you 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 can't do it it needs treating you're in Goa do you live there I'm from England uh, originally okay I I no longer have my own home as this I have a little home but it's a rental income. That's how yes. I live. State pension, little income. That's how I live. Started coming here about over twenty years ago because I took up yoga when I was um, in my late twenties. I became a teacher and I've studied, practiced, taught very wide, and I love yoga. I mean, it really, really saved my life. I took it up, you know, a long time ago. Yes. I came to India over 20 years ago because there was a 
particular style of yoga, which it was very hard to find a teacher for then, Ashtanga Vinyasa Yoga. And I came and I went to Kerala, didn't go to Mysore then. And I studied, fell in love with India. And then I started coming every year for initially two or three months every year. Four months, but it was five months, six months. So, you know, the visa they would allow uh, was um, six months. So for all those years, I've been coming annually. It's lovely. It is lovely. And I was in Kerala originally, South India. I'm still in South India, but a little bit more in Goa. I've been here about 14 years. I've never been. It sounds beautiful. I see on your Facebook that two years ago, you was at Purple Valley, the annual opening of Pia. Can you tell us more about that? It looked amazing. I'm a long-term yoga teacher and I've taught widely and internationally. I'm more or less retired now. But when I say that, I don't say it with pride. I'm just saying that's what I did. So I had a good name. I was well known. And I was kind of unusual because I'm basically older, shorter, you know, quite stock. And there I was out there around the world. And my connection with Purple Valley came from a friendship with Christina, Carolina, the general manager. They used to get really top international teachers there. Only Ashtanga, people like John Scott, Joey Miles. I can't think of all their names. They look beautiful. Oh, it's gorgeous. That has been changed in recent years, the past 10, 15 years, yoga, meditation, all these spiritual realms have really been changed by really, I see it as over-commercialization. Yes, I agree. Sexualization, you know, selling products, like things have gone a bit messy, but life's always like that. Yes, it is. You had chronic addiction problems eating disorders, body dysmorphia through your life. Can you explain what they are and how you found your way through and what helped you? I think I'll start with, you know, having addictions. I grew up, there were moments of love and laughter in our home. I'm the middle one of three daughters. Sadly, I became a kind of scapegoat for my mum. I got blamed this kind of victim creature who developed very bright persona to try and get, get through. I thought no one loved me. And I turned in my early, well, I was 12, actually, to drugs, to pills. I was in London in the 60s. Yes. So I began amphetamines and any drugs that were there. Thank God I didn't come across heroin. Somehow I knew LSD would finish me off. Yes. I didn't take it. But I was just off my head through my teens. And then I vowed I'd never drink because I saw a beloved dad. But I did. I became a drinker. And during my 20s, I was a daily drinker, spliff smoker, Valium to get to sleep, some kind of something to wake me up, working in casinos. It always looked good from the outside. You know, I met my now ex-husband when we were both working in the casino on a Caribbean cruise on a, then it was a luxury liner, the QE2. So it all looked good, you know, but inside I couldn't face love. So during my 20s, I was anorexic. I wasn't like five stone anorexic. I was functioning. I was yes. always an alcoholic. You know, alcoholics don't always live in graveyards, drinking out of a can. Mm. And, you know, there's a lot of alcoholics in very fancy places. And it's about what it does to your thinking. And so I st- I forced myself to stop drinking in my early 30s because we wanted to have children. Me and my ex-husband had two children. 
I never got treatment, as it were. I didn't realize alcoholism is a disease of thing. And so did you just stop or did something happen to make you stop and say, right, I need help? I had the motivation. Some would say, well, you can't be a real alcoholic and stop. But you can. You can yes. stop. But it took me 18 months, two years, white knuckling, stopping, starting, stopping. Start. And then finally, I was like, oh, but I went through hell because I was what they call a dry drunk. You know, I was someone, I hadn't changed my thinking or my manic, crazy workaholism. I shifted all my shit into being, I became obese. I became a compulsive overeater. And then I alternated with, I'd go on a mad diet and then I'd get my weight would go down and then it'd go up. And it'd go. So it was awful. And I did my best to parent our beloved children, two children, our son and our daughter, you know, and very sadly, Joanna developed leukemia and she was treated, she developed it when she was about two and a half. And this is why I thought this is the root of my passion for natural medicine, for natural healing, yes. for treating whole person, not for repressing symptoms and causing greater harm. So it came from what I saw from the moment, you know, that I realized there was something wrong and I was ignored. I was told I was a hysterical mother, blah, blah, blah. It took me about eight months to be believed. Wow. Seen the dark side of conventional NHS, mm -hmm. you know, stupid parents, they know nothing, we're the experts. Then we went through four years with her, bless her. And the medical staff were very, very warm-hearted and loving. But they were administering these barbaric treatments, chemotherapy, radiation, surgery. Anyway, mm. she did have a very full life. You, you wouldn't have known. She was, you know, we went, we went to Florida, actually, for, yeah, for about a month. Oh. And then we came back, and then she had um, surgery and stuff. But the long and short of it is she died mm. very peacefully. And one of the major moments of my life was at the moment of Joanna's passing. The few days before she passed, it felt very heavenly. She was at home. Yes. And the doctors supported us. There were no more injects. I was administering pain relief. She was in a semi-coma, but she could hear us, obviously. And um, she died. And in the moment she died, with all the family around, grandparents, sisters, you know, Lovely. brother. And she was in her daddy's arms. And in that moment, I didn't know anything about past lives or the spirit or, or none of it, the death tunnel, none of it. I was gifted this vivid and beautiful vision of in her last moments her and me somehow moving gliding along this tunnel that was lit but kind of gray around the edges and at the end there were these heavenly beings I can still see it heavenly beings reaching out their arms with such love wow. Joanna and holding hands and she looked back at me it's like oh I don't want to go mum she looked at them. This was just in my vision as I was sitting there and I thought yes. everyone else was doing it. And in life, I said to her, oh, my darling, you can go. We'll always love you. Daddy will always love you. I will always be your mummy. Thomas will always be your brother. It's time to go. And she left. And in that moment, I felt complete. I was given complete trust, surrender. Massive, massive spiritual moment. Beautiful. And I, it was amazing. 
Yes. Never had any thought. And I, then she was gone, her last breath. And I looked around and I thought, because I was like this, I was radiant. And everyone else was sobbing, oh, she's gone. And mm. I realized no one else has seen it. And I asked her dad, like, did you see anything? He went, no. But that was the beginning. That's and so again, sure. I didn't wake up full of radiance to say, oh, how beautiful she's in heaven. Yes. I woke up saying, if there is a God, I fucking hate him. Yeah. Because why did you take? And it took me about 10 years to get over the worst of it because I was stubborn. I was stubborn. It's your child. Um, That's normal. What would I you do? say to somebody that is going through that grief and they've lost a child? I remember saying to the beautiful, we'd had some contact with a hospice. She died at home, but they courted us in the week before, two weeks before, and then for about two years after. And I said to the, to the hospital, we were under Great Ormond Street, I said, why didn't any of you tell us that death could be so beautiful? And they looked at each other and they said, you can't. Can you imagine telling a yeah. mother or a father that it's going to be beautiful? They'd punch you, I think. Mm. It wouldn't help. So no. you've just got... You know, if someone's going through it, it's different for everyone. You said that you found recovery from your addiction through finding a spiritual power that you could connect to. Could you tell us more about yeah. that, please, and yes. how you connected to that spiritual power? My whole life, I'd had a yearning for spiritual connection. I just couldn't find it. I didn't realize I was blocking it by drinking and smoking and partying and being promiscuous and workaholism and manic housewife and perfectionist mother. I didn't realize I was blocking, you know, because I wasn't, but I did everything. And I remember I was studying, practicing and teaching yoga. And I was always drawn to the spiritual element more even than the postures, although the postures were, were fun, enjoyable. And I did a lot of studies, like one of the books that really, really impacted me is a book called Bhagavad Gita, The Song of Life. And it's basically one of the main spiritual texts of Hinduism or in India that just talks about the cycle of birth, life, death that just continues, you know. It talks about each of us has our duty in life, our personal duty, our duty towards our family, towards ourselves, towards humanity. And sometimes it talks very much about sometimes we have to do things that are very painful and very difficult, a bit like that harsh, apparently, comment I mentioned. Yes. How long are you going to drag this drama around? You know, sometimes we have to do things that might hurt people to be loving, you know, to be courageous, to do the right thing. So the Bhagavad Gita has been a, a really big part. Um, but before I did, yeah, I had the Bhagavad Gita. I had some very special yoga books. So there was, on a theoretical level, I was getting a lot of awareness and I was teaching meditation. I was helping people to relax and become strong. and But inside myself, I was still the broken child that, you know, mummy wasn't nice to and daddy was drunk and I was the outcast in the family and I was blamed for things. I was only a child and, you know, so I was still very broken. And of course, I'd, I'd stopped drinking, but I hadn't got any kind of rehab treatment or anything. I just did it. 
because I was so full of shame. And I was neurotic about not going back there. But by the time 20 years later, I'd kind of forgotten I had a drink problem. I'd become an occasional binge drink, you know, occasional. And because I never drank much, because I got quite drunk quite quickly, I just thought, well, that means I'm, there's nothing, I haven't got a problem. I'm not, I never even allowed myself to consider I was an alcoholic. I just thought, well, I've got a bit of a problem, you know, years before. Yes. But what happened, I knew I needed help around the eating craziness. I knew that. I knew it was out of control, binging and then starving. You know, I'd binge for three days, then I wouldn't eat for four days. It's crazy. I knew it. And I felt like a mad, but I had this existence. I was traveling around teaching yoga, yes, doing yeah. it very well. And then a therapist I went to, one of the many I went to over the years, said, I think you need to go to one of these um, fellowships, you know, these 12-step fellowships yes. for food addiction or problems. I said, well, I'm not that bad. Anyway, I went and I went and I discovered, oh, my God, I'm not mad. I'm not bad. I'm not insane. This is actually an illness of the mind and the body. And there is a solution. And they've got a most wonderful book they go by. This is sort of spiritual program to help people with addictions and things. And I won't name it. And this book is amazing. And the purpose, the whole purpose of the book, which people study together, is all yes. free. Yeah. Pop 50 pence or a pound in their box, you know. I bet it was such a relief to find out. Well, it, it didn't happen overnight, but it was a relief to yes. find out I wasn't alone. Yeah. And within two weeks of me getting a little bit of sanity around food, I was drinking again, bottle of wine a day within two weeks. After all those years of virtually not drinking, yes. bottle of wine a day and one in the cupboard ready to go. So that led me to the drink fellowship so then that's what I did I worked very hard they have a series of um, questions and they say you know go to meetings with people who are following this program it's all free there's no agenda they just want to help each other work the program as best you can help other people as much as you can to get out of your own head yes let someone else help you you know let's so there's a lot of mentoring so that's been a huge part of my, that's how I got recovery. And so I've been in those programs about 16 years and I'm still part of them because they're wonderful, joyful places to be. And there's very deep conversations and yes. truthful, authentic friendships. It's, it's amazing. I've got brothers that are alcoholic. The father of my children is an alcoholic. Now, one of the brothers has got help. Been, I think it's 11 years now he's been sober, but the others haven't. So I've seen how it destroys lives, destroys families. And I know, I think especially for a man to go and get help, it is quite hard to say, I've got a problem, to even walk through the doors. What would you say to anybody that is in that situation? I and they feel they haven't got a problem, but deep down they know there is a problem and it's hurting those around them. But do you know what, Ruth? There's so much stigma about mm. saying, I need help. There's so much stigma about stigma about joining, you know, going to rehab or admitting you're an alcoholic, you've got a problem or you're an addict or whatever, you know. And people 
are proud and they're very, very ashamed, very, very ashamed. They're fearful and they they think, no, it's, I'm not that bad. And then they get remorseful. And there's not actually anything you can say because each individual has to be ready. We talk about it. We call it the gift of desperation. You know, someone's wife might leave them. Someone's husband might walk out. A woman's children might get taken by social care. You don't know. Awful things going to crash the car, kill someone. Yeah. Something terrible. Hopefully, what's happening a lot more in these modern days is younger people. Well, it's very, very common, isn't it? People to drink and use drugs to excess. Yes. Very, very common. Didn't used to be. And so young people are coming in younger and realizing oh my God, I'm, I'm not boring without a drink or a drug. In fact, I'm bloody boring with a drink or a drug in me, you know. Um, and it's like, you kind of think, you know, all of society is built around eating, drinking, and smoking. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yes. And when someone stops, even when their friends and family know they've got a problem, they're often encouraged. They're, well done, darling. And then about six weeks later, you're right now. Let's go out for a drink to celebrate. And you go, oh, no. Oh, don't be boring. Or you're so boring. Yes. yes. So there's really almost unanimous societal disapproval or kind of they don't want you around. And I think the long and short of it is people who are drinking or using, they don't want people who aren't around because they know they're going to start behaving like. Yes different you know but I I can be you know I'm quite I don't mind let people do what they want let them drink themselves into their grave if that's what they want yes yeah and the thing is you know you cannot persuade someone they have got a problem you can't they've no. got to find their own way there but hopefully I'll tell you the best message is for them to see people who were in a terrible mess begin to not only stop drinking or using or workaholism or debting or whatever it is, codependency, but to see them become happy, joyous and free, you know, literally to see that happen. And when you look at some, it's like, what are you on? Not on anything, just, you know. It's life. And it is, it's like, and a big part of that is the community. And I think I would say that to anyone who's struggling with anything, you know, anything at all or feeling alone or whatever, find your like-minded people and try to create a sense of community in your life. Yes. And you do it by being yourself. When your unexpected limitations hit your life over the past few years, oh. they helped to bring out your authentic self. What tools did you use oh. to help? <laughs> These unexpected limitations, Ruth, it was all to do with my identity. I mean, it's like, I hope people are able to keep up with what I'm saying because, you know, there's, I'm 73 years old. You're amazing. And you're asking me these unbelievably incredible questions which lead me to launch into things. And I feel as though I've lived four or five or six or seven lifetimes you know, there was me as the child, there was me as the crazy 12-year-old, then the wild adolescent, then the drunken anorexic in my 20s, and then the 
trying to stop drinking then and then the obese overeating in my 30s becoming a mother and then being a bereaved mother and then coming to India it's like all these different lifetimes you know and then getting recovery you know and it's like it's all been a process it was all to do you know I do have a very very strong faith I'm not talking about a church or a religion but I have taken enormous comfort from this spiritual fellowship I'm a big part of. It's worldwide where I got recovery, you know, um, and the friends and the connections and the deep, authentic opening up and really owning up your darkest secrets and your most radiant secrets. And that led me to find my own understanding of a loving something I call a loving higher power. And I feel that in my life. I kind of found that through nature. I didn't want to use the word God because it made me cringe. I thought religion was awful. Mm. I didn't realize it was humankind that had warped religion. But So it's not a church, but nature. I love nature. And I felt my heart soften around Buddha, you know, the images. So I've done some... Um, extended like Vipassana retreats, these silent retreats, very intensive, the Goenka method, today you're in silence. I'd find find that hard. (laughs) Well, I probably wouldn't have gone if I'd known that, but it was amazing. And I've done this, um, they call it introduction to Tibetan Buddhism. That's the Dalai Lama style of Buddhism. And that really helped me. It really, really helped me. They talk about the nature of mind, understanding oneself and actually because they say there is no god there is no hereafter you know when it ends it ends it actually brought me face to face with the reality that i can feel something i'm happy to call god i can feel it you know when i when i'm kind when someone is kind to me mm. when i interact with someone on a close level when i go out into nature If I see someone without a smile, will I give them one of mine? You know, all these things which you might say, oh, they're so trite. But it's all about humanity and love. And I was doing all this studying, just getting to the limitation. And my identity was as I'm Jane and I'm a yoga teacher. I'm strong. I'm fit. And I'm kind of unique because I'm older. I'm stocky. And I'm, you know, I got really graceful, strong, light practice. And then, boom, I got this um, out of the blue. I later realized there had been indications in my right hip, um, quite severe osteoarthritis, meaning the cartilage or the cushioning between the thigh bone and the hip socket had virtually crumbled away. And that took me on the most excruciating, painful journey not just painful in body, Mm. but because suddenly my identity was gone. And it was as though I was saying, you know, to God, to life, because I did have a faith, I'm Jane, I'm yoga teacher. Life was going, no, you're not. (laughs) No, you're not. You can hardly stand up or sit down, let alone walk. I was still teaching. And of course, one can still teach. You know, I could obviously teach. And And even up to, um, you know, two years ago, I was assisting Joey and Rachel. And so I 
the mobility kept coming and going, coming and going. I now realize it was in my way of understanding divinity really knocking at my door and saying, wake up, Jane. You are not a name. You are not a thing. You are not a teacher. There's something else. And I had to be broken down. That was the only thing. And I'll tell you what it led to was, remember, I'd been in this fellowship for years. Yes. We we do not drink. We don't take drugs, whatever. And during this excruciating pain, I got quite heavy, eating disorder took off, and I was quite heavy, and I was in such pain. And I kept meeting people in Mysore, which is a town where I was studying, chanting, sacred chanting with teacher there. Couldn't couldn't do yoga. I could hardly walk. And um, kept meeting people who I'd known for years or met with. Whenever I went, go, oh, I think you. Jane, I'm I'm getting a very strong feeling you should go on this plant medicine. Plant medicine is that a drug? I don't do things <laughs> like that anymore. You know. Yes. Anyway, I got this loud voice in my ear about five years ago when I was leaving Mysore, having had, you know, it was time to leave. I'd been there about six weeks, having had a very heated discussion with all these different groups. I will never do that. And they were going, well, you don't understand. It's a medicine. It's not, you know, part. And I literally, and I do get this sometimes, a voice in my ear that said, so are you going to keep on arguing about this medicine or are you going to do it? I was like, right then, I'll do it. And from that moment, I thought, right. And I knew there were shamans coming somewhere. I won't say where. And uh, because it's not, um, you know, so it was to a certain country, which I won't name. Yes. And um, it was very near. (laughs) uh, Anyway, so I had the good grace within two weeks of that coming back to go in all my naivety, thinking, you know, for I had my intention. I said, no, it won't. No. And I went to this ceremony and there were four, actually, with three shamans and one interpreter. They come all the way from the Amazon jungle, you know, and they bought this medicine stuff in the jungle overnight, 10-hour ceremony, ceremonial fire, absolutely. And what happened was this medicine smashed any remaining bits of Jane. Who's oh, wow. Jane. I'm this, I'm that, and I don't want anyone to see, you know, and I don't want to be too vulnerable, and I want to keep this defense and that defense and this strategy for coping with life. What the medicine did with me, it just went boom, and it smashed everything. But the support there is very... It sounds scary. If I'd known, would never have done it. No. But because I did it, I was given so much love and support. And I left in the morning. You know, we all went to the beach. My friends were terribly remorseful that they recommended it. And there I was. They'd seen me suffering. And I left. I thought, I'm never doing it again. I've done it. Never doing it again. (laughs) Got to the beach. One of my friends said, what really stands out for you, Jane? 
said, what stands out is the love. All during that ceremony, I was given unconditional love. No one babied me or mothered me, but they were kind. Yes. And they just said things like, you are strong, my darling. You can do this. The strength is in you. So I went back about two weeks later. I waited. I didn't want to get into one of my addictive things. I went back and I spoke to the medicine and I said, I'm not just full of fear. I'm full of love. And yeah. I had this incredible. I, so I then attended three ceremonies annually over a five year period. Wow. And it really, it's helped me see things and understand things without the structure of my social conditioning, the trauma of my childhood. But it's always a work in progress. But for me, ayahuasca, plant medicine, yes, was a gift that came to me late in life. I was um, uh, I was sixty eight or sixty seven, and it smashed the conditioning, and it's helped me become this happy person who's open. I'm I'm open again. I I love life. I I mean, I've just become very strong and very authentic. And um, that's actually, lovely. One of the beautiful, it is lovely. One do you have to go back on a yearly basis and take it? Well, you don't have to do anything. Yeah. I always weighed it up very carefully. Am I doing this because I want to sort of get off my head? It's not like that, darling. It's not mm -hmm. like you can't, it's, it's strong. It can be very beautiful. I mean, it is very beautiful can be very, very beautiful and very healing. But it's something, you know, they talk about it like it's like, you know, it's like two or three years intensive psychotherapy in oh, wow. a 10-hour session. I know. I know. I can see the look. <laughs> I couldn't Good. do that. <laughs> well, that's what I would have said. If yes. I'd known, I would never have done You'd it. You'd never have done it. <laughs> Ne never have done it but I did do it and I well I'm done just, well it means I didn't go to my death with yes. all those bits of me closed mm. down you know I'm I'm just so much past you know we're going to have to bring things to an end is there a website or on Facebook where people can get hold well, of you I, yeah people want to talk to me they're very welcome so my name as you've said is Jane Slevin if anyone wants to send me a friend message and I, if I get a random request to be friends and I, I will automatically, because of the pandemic, you know, I'm very careful who comes on my friend, friend group, I'll go on to their Facebook page. And if there's nothing on it, I won't accept because no. I won't know who it is. That's so right. they need to, you know, say something they could message me you can message the person yes i wouldn't accept a friend request from someone who's got there's nothing yes no i agree anything about who they are what yes. they believe in no that's right know. that's right so the time has come to bring our chat to an end i'd like to thank uh, you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time out to come and chat 
You're an inspiration and you're beautiful inside and out. You really are. It's been lovely chatting to you. Absolutely loved it, Ruth. Yeah, thank you. All right. What an amazing chat that was. With the powerful message, you're not mad. Alcoholism is actually an illness of the mind and body. And once you hit that stage of desperation, there is help out there. Never give up. Keep going. You are blocking so many good things in your life through alcohol. Thank you to the listeners for coming on today and Jane for sharing her wisdom with us. Looking forward to our next podcast on Unleash Your Goddess. To listen to more podcasts, please go to our website, unleashyourgoddess.co.uk. See you on the next one.